to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 154. I am your host, Nicholas Minix, and joining me as usual during the week is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you doing today? Good, good. We got breaking news. The Pirates trade for John Axford. Oh, my God. Ah, bullpen problem solved. <laughs> and done. World <laughs> Series. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, but clearly he won't pitch probably uh, or any later than the seventh inning, maybe occasionally in the eighth, I would imagine. Yeah, I don't think Melanson's job is on the online here. Yeah, certainly not that. And um, semi-breaking news, news that could only please Eno Saris is that Terry Collins is expected back in 2015, according to John Heyman. I can't... Mm, uh, can't. Insert cuss words here. <laughs> All right, well, without further ado, we want to keep this family-friendly show, so we'll talk about things that don't involve Terry Collins for the rest of it. Um, we'd like to start with uh, some things going on with the rotations, particularly uh, with with uh, Mike Fires, who was called up to start in place of Matt Garza this past Saturday and did so in fine fashion. Uh, he's actually pitching again today and is on his way to another very fine outing. And uh, this is kind of a guy I'd actually included him in my waiver wire piece a couple of weeks ago, just speculating that he would be or actually about a week ago, speculating that he would be the guy. And uh, five innings pitched today, one walk, 11 strikeouts. He's allowed only two hits and is not allowed a run. Uh, in his previous start, he, I think he went something like six innings, struck out eight or nine. Uh, this guy's kind of, or six, seven, eight innings. He, this guy's on a roll uh, in two starts, to say the least. You know, this guy kind of excites you a little bit, uh, or does he not? Oh, you know, he's actually he gives me conflicting emotions. Uh, the, you know, what I like about him and what I've always liked about him is that he's ha he has a good changeup and a good curveball. It's about an average curveball, about eleven percent whiffs. Changeup is about sixteen percent whiffs. They're both average, but but it's nice to have two above average pitches that go in different directions. So I like that a lot. What I don't like is the eighty-nine mile an hour fastball that's straight when it comes to horizontal movement. I mean, it's. It's straight. It's not good horizontally. But one thing that works for him is he's got a lot of vertical deception to it. So it, it, it has 11 inches of rise. The average is around 9.5. 11 inches uh, puts him up almost in the Doolittle territory. The problem is with an 89-mile-an-hour fastball and rise like that, what you're going to do is throw the fastball high in the zone, um, and they're going to be hit out. Um, because uh, when when you miss uh, with your command a little bit, so what you need from fires is a pitcher's park um, and good command, and um, that's you know Wrigley plays in a lot of different ways depending on how the wind is blowing and how the weather's like. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, today uh, at Wrigley means he can do it anywhere. But um, if I was playing him. Uh, I would probably consider him mostly a spot starter and a guy that I would play in a pitcher's park just because that straight fastball at 89. He reminds me a little bit of Dylan G, a little bit riskier, uh, but very similar in that they both have a little bit of rise, uh, a little bit of deception in their fastball, and then also throw an 88 to 89 mile an hour fastball high in the zone uh, and try to get whiffs. So 
Uh, I think it's a it's a fine line he's watch he's walking. We know that just from his history and from how um, he's lost his rotation spot and and, and been out of uh, favor before. But um, you know, I do think uh, he's got something going in terms of those secondary pitches, and uh, obviously he's doing a little better now. So if you wanted to roster him, that'd be fine. Um, but I would still be careful about how often I play him. Yeah, he's he's someone that I kind of like as well, and that's basically the mix. Uh, I mean, he's he's kind of similar in terms of potential results, I think, to Marco Estrada, and uh, be, because I mean, he has a weak uh, the weak fastball. Uh, he does have um, the ability to miss bats fairly often, uh, and but I mean, he's he had, he. This is kind of a, in contrast to Estrada's season f- fires, although it has been at the AAA level, and he is what twenty nine years old. Uh, he's been pretty what you would call dominant uh, at this point uh, in the season. Kind of having he's kind of maybe he's pitching with a lot more confidence than in Estrada because the results are quite different, even though they're very similar pitchers. Um, yeah, they are similar, which is a good comp. And it's it, you know, look at the what the numbers project. Uh, Zip says a, almost a homer and a half for the rest of the season per game. Um, and Steamer, who still likes who likes him more, much more, uh, still thinks he's going to give up about 1.2 homers per nine. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously, homers is an issue. Estrada had the same sort of thing where he had a bad fastball, uh, good secondary pitches, and uh, homeritis. So. Um, I think the key is just throwing it in the zone, giving up those homers with the bases empty. Um, and that's something that probably he was doing in the minor leagues this year. Uh, but, um, you know, at 29 years old in AAA, I wouldn't uh, put too much stock in his AAA work this year. Yeah, that's fair to say. And it's also worth noting, um, according to the data I have here, there's a slight breeze blowing in from center field today at Rigged Field. So whatever aid, uh, aid or a betting that's going on is going in fires favor today uh, at Wrigley field. And uh, I'm not a weatherman, so don't, don't, I'm barely treading water as a host of a podcast, but uh, that's, that's according to some data either in the ballpark and the latest conditions going into that one. So I think uh, so far conditions have been overall pretty good for fires uh, in terms of, I would say opponents uh, somewhat and, uh, conditions, but yes, there's certainly potential for some corrections there at any time. Still, an, an exciting pitcher. I mean, 15 team mixed leagues. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he went in mixed tout wars this past weekend, and this was a guy I put in a bid for. I'm not, I don't recall how much, but did you bid, or would you have been uh, interested? Um, and would you be interested more, uh, more so this week after a little more time to examine him? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I'd put money down on him. Uh, but, uh, right now I'm trying to get dollar pitchers and I don't think he went for a dollar. So, right. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I am as well. And, uh, I'm just hoping for any sort of winging a prayer in the pitching categories anyway, myself. <laughs> I'm just hoping to get out of the basement, man. <laughs> I, I've got like, uh, three or four points to get out. Of, I, I need to get out of the basement. I do not want to be last. I hear that. I hear that. Uh, and so far, at least I'm in good shape as far as that goes. I wish I could help you there, but. Frankly, uh, we're all in it on our own. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Jake Arrieta open to a contract extension. I just want to bring this up real quick. Obviously, he's been a hot topic for us at several times this season on the podcast. And that may sound exciting to folks who were lucky enough to, to hop on the Arietta bandwagon uh, in, in keeper leagues and dynasty leagues. But we also talked about 
and specifically, you know, mentioned some things to throw out a little bit of caution, I think, as far as Arietta is concerned in the long term, uh, because there's still probably some long term concern about potential health reasons, I would say. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, he just bumped his slider usage, and, and it, it really it stayed there. It's uh, he bumped his slider usage up to thirty to forty percent. Um, if you give me a second, I should have done this before. But if you give me a second, I can tell you uh, who's doing that this year, other than him as a starter, because it usually, you know, we we did some research and found that um, that uh, you know throwing the slider more than thirty percent of the time led to bad health outcomes. Um, well, another but, another uh, one that you talked about uh, this year uh, was Jason Hamill. He kind of sold out perhaps for the sake of getting himself a bigger contract this off season, but it's gotten some great results with it. I'm not sure if the slider is now the result of uh, maybe he stopped using it in Oakland or whatever, but I mean, he's, he's, he's his last couple of starts again, he's back on the, back on the bandwagon and is pitching well again. We'll, we'll see. But, we'll see. I mean, you know, the thing about these things is we only have data until back to 2002. So every year we actually get more data. Um, like significantly more data to, to look back at this, but unless there's a strike, uh, so huh? unless there's a strike, right? Uh, but uh, in terms of who's doing it right now, it actually doesn't sound that terrible. Tyson Ross is number one at forty-one percent. Uh, Madison Bumgarner thirty-eight percent. Santana thirty-three uh, percent. So that that group's uh, it usually stays uh, it so far stayed healthy. Jason Hamill fourth. Uh, he's really not a good case for this. I mean, he goes on the DL every year. Um, and averages about 120 innings a year, so uh, that's that's a case uh, in favor of uh, not throwing over 30%. Uh, Kyle Loesch uh, is reasonably healthy, or his ankle that doesn't count. Clayton Kershaw uh, sixth most. Garrett Richards, um, you know, I think that's TBD. Uh, Archer is up there. Willie Peralta throws a lot. Uh, he's been pretty healthy. Edwin Jackson. Uh, Chris Young is up there. Bud Norris, actually, twelfth uh, most uh, sliders among stars. He's starting to feel the elbow stuff. So I think it's a it's a little bit more about um, you know don't get too concerned about this sort of thing um, it, so that you don't do the Mets thing, right? Where the Mets uh, traded um, Scott Casimir away because they said, oh, he's too small. He's not going to keep the velocity. He's not going to you know be good for a long time, right? And so they traded him for Victor Zambrano, and it's one of the worst trades in the history of the Mets. Um, and so what I would say is if you've got a young guy, like don't trade Clayton Kershaw just because he's throwing 30% sliders, you know. <laughs> but in the case of Jake Arrieta, he just bumped it up. He's had health issues already. Uh, he's not the youngest guy, um, and he's piling on those sliders. Uh, if you get a better deal than Victor Zambrano, I would think about it, um, and I would, th- I would be careful not to overrate him in terms of very long term but for next year uh, I think he's probably going to be useful yeah I would still I would still like to think that Arietta is going to be useful there will probably be a little bit of a reckoning period but overall and considering the relative come up of, of pitching uh, yeah I, I think that he's a pretty at least he's probably relatively speaking a, a decent short term hold uh, still in terms of keeper leagues um Wanted to give you also real quick a chance to, uh, this is uh, perhaps becoming the Eno Saris publicity hour, but I wanted to give you a chance. You put up an interesting grips piece on Tim Lincecum where his uh, his eyes, unlike 
Stanley Kubricks are wide open. And wanted to give you a chance to talk about, um, obviously, I haven't even had a chance to read it, but uh, I'm interested to see uh, what, because I know that his repertoire, he's been kind of focused on in the last couple of years, having it evolve extensively. Uh, what did you learn about uh, his repertoire and, and things that he, uh, as far as his views of his own stuff? You know, Lindsay's done a, a little bit of the slider thing too, where his, uh, his slider usage is up, uh, you know, to the highest of his career pretty much. Um, and, um, <clears throat> you know, it's close to 30%. It's 30% this month, uh, and it has been over 20%, um, for the three months prior, which he, you know, hasn't, you know, hadn't done a ton of, um, except for in 2012, he did a little bit of it too. So, uh, he knows that he needs to hide his fastball and that's what, you know, the thing that I was really impressed by was how honest he was about things and how he just sort of, he was like, yeah, I, I know, I know that I used to have a 94 mile an hour fastball that I didn't command and it was fine. And now that it's 90, you know, and I can't command it, I'm in trouble. And he said, you know, I'm trying to hide the fastball with the slider um, you know, on a two-one count, he's just as li- likely to throw a fastball or slider or split. Uh, so he's really bunched all his percentages right in the middle, where uh, batters can't really guess uh, what's coming. So that's in his favor. But uh, and, and also, also in his favor is that he's a splitter, even though it's come back a little bit, is not uh, is still above average. Uh, the slider is still above average. The curve is still good. So he's still got these three secondary pitches that bend and break and fade and. Um, and, and and look nice and get whiffs, and so he's still top 25 in whiffs. And I'm not really telling you anything you don't know. I mean, anyone can look at the leaderboards and see he still gets the strikeouts. Um, the walk rate has has gotten better, but you know, with a guy who admits that his command isn't great, and he's trying to hide the fastball, and that sometimes he hangs the slider, and sometimes he you know puts the fastball down the middle. That's the kind of guy who's going to give up homer. So I wouldn't expect his home run rate to regress unless. You know, he talked about finding a cutter or, you know, unless there's even more um, sort of advancement in his uh, repertoire. But right now, I'd say he's just a very risky spot start. He's the kind of guy you want to pitch maybe at home uh, when maybe the homers won't happen just because of his home park. Um, and a guy you want to pitch in San Diego just because he'd probably throw another no hitter. Uh, <laughs> but uh, other than that, um, you know, it was a kind of depressing interview, but also uplifting in that. He understands. That's why his, his eyes are wide open. You know, he understands his flaws. He's trying to work on them, uh, and he's been trying to work on them for a while. And it's not uh, necessarily an easy solution coming. Okay. Now, uh, I mean, Lincecum seems like a fairly bright guy, and uh, I, I guess long term speaking, I mean, do we see Lincecum eventually kind of gaining? Or regaining uh, mixed league value, or like consistent, reliable spots at the end of a mixed league rotation. As the evolution, you know, speak as in terms of a pitcher who maybe evolves even more so in the next couple of years. Again, I mean, I think that this this strikes me a bit. I mean, I I see that you know, there's been some, there's been obviously some discussion about his work from the stretch. I mean, he's he's basically working on a lot of things where. Um, you know, it gets you get to the point where uh, I mean, eventually some of these things have to are, are pretty likely to be beneficial for him, I would think. But uh, how I guess how encouraged are you besides the fact that you found the interview rather depressing? <laughs> like, do you do you view this as a guy who eventually can get back to that that uh, relevance? 
I don't know. I mean, it's, I just think he's the classic boomer bust. I mean, the thing is, people will steal uh, like nuts off of him uh, just because of the way his delivery works, even when he's uh, figured out what he's doing from the stretch. So I don't think that, um, you know, even when he even when his strikeouts and walk rates get better from the stretch, he's still going to have guys go nuts on him on a base pass. So I think that means to me that, you know, he's always going to have He's always going to be a little bit worse than his FIP, mm-hmm. for example. I mean, that's the kind of one of the things that people point to is people who are better from the stretch, or you know, Vogelsong asked Vogelsong why he's why he beat his FIP for a while, and Vogelsong said that it's because he bears down uh, when he's in the stretch, and you know that sounds like uh, bull doo doo, but uh, <laughs> what, what he did say that was instructive was he's more willing to give up a walk with people on base than a home run. So, um, you know, another way of saying it is he comes more of a nibbler uh, with people on base. And, uh, you know, in those instances, just, hitters probably tend to become a little more aggressive than the uh, kind of in the house. Right, so. right. So, you know, I think that's actually a good strategy. And I think that's maybe one of the, the, the secrets to what's going on in San, in San Francisco is that they've told their pitchers, uh, we'd, you know, rather give up a walk than a homer, uh, dance around the edges once there's people on base. So, I don't know how long that can last because, you know, the more people know that, the more they know how to counteract that and that's how game theory works. But uh, just in general, I think um, that uh, Linscombe's always going to have more trouble with people on base. Um, and he's always going to have days where you just can't put it anywhere and he runs into a patient team that decides they're not going to swing at anything. Um, and all of a sudden, Linscombe's at 100 pitches through three and, uh, you know, then then come the homers. Yeah, certainly. It's... It's kind of disappointing for a guy who, you know, early in his career when he first debuted, he seemed to have such a uh, Lincecum seemed to have such a bright future. But uh, and it doesn't mean that his career is over. But I mean, he uh, barring some some great evolution, looks like he could be a pitcher who kind of consistently puts up an ERA that's a little worse than his component numbers, and uh, maybe has that kind of one surprise season where he consistently outperforms them or something like that. It's an interesting piece. Uh, definitely recommend it uh, just from the little bit I've gleaned from it already and uh, intend to check more of it out later. Wanted to talk uh, real quickly. We've talked about, obviously, Ryan Merliriano's call-up in San Diego, but uh, it, we, I, I've noticed also that we kind of neglected to talk about a couple of guys that have interested us that uh, ended up in San Diego for one reason or another. Uh, and given some health things, uh, well, basically, we've, we've kind of gleaned over occasionally Tommy Medica, uh, but he seems to be playing more regularly. That seems to be much more likely now that Yonder Alonso is headed to the disabled list. And uh, Everett Cabrera also on the disabled list. That opens up some playing time in the infield. That goes to Alexei Marista, not the most exciting player, but uh, another guy we didn't talk about who right now is kind of considered a bench player for the Padres is Abraham Almonte, one of Eno's favorites. And I do like the kid quite a bit as well. Uh, didn't do much with his opportunity in Seattle earlier this season, but he's also a, an interesting player, Luke, little bit of a power speed combo uh and it's an outfield that definitely has to get a little younger as one of will venable going into next year in his final year under team control uh could be somebody that eventually makes his way out of town uh would be interesting to see uh what the padres do there in the long term or at least in the short term speaking in the next year or so but uh in terms of medica uh, we we've missed our opportunity on a couple of occasions to talk about him but what do you think what kind of uh what kind of chances, for instance, do you think he has in hitting right-handed pitching? I mean, I think that that's going to be a pretty big key for him uh, in order to determine whether he actually is capable of uh, 
hanging on to an everyday role if he's even capable of something like that. Yeah, I, you know, I just don't think he, he makes enough contact, and it's actually sort of the uh, probably the Achilles heel with a lot of the guys you mentioned. I mean, although uh, Amarista at short, his problem is probably uh, his stature. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not that I'm laughing at short people. I'm just saying he's not going to get a lot of power out of that body, and, um, you know, he, he has other flaws as well. And he's not really a great shortstop, so I don't think he's necessarily going to end up at shortstop. For Medica, he's got a 10% swing strike rate. Uh, he's now uh, been in the majors for 20, uh, 272 plate appearances, has a 28% strikeout rate. Um, and uh, for what it's worth, you know, that's Almonte's problem too. Uh, he's got um, uh, 217 plate appearances and a 30% strikeout rate. Both of them have whiff rates over 10. Um, so that's, I think, you know, at that level, 27 to 30%, you're going to have, I mean, for, for our concerns, for fantasy concerns, you're just going to have a bad batting average. Um, and, you know, though uh, Almonte has a little bit of power, he doesn't have as much as Medica. So Medica's power can help him, you know, into a slightly better uh, batting average. But then he won't steal any bases where Almonte does have, um, you know, some legit speed. I mean, in, in last year he had 27 uh, stolen bases over uh, about 500 plate appearances, six, 560, something like that. So, um, you know, I think he could uh, – you know, true talent. I'd probably give Almonte, you know, uh, you know, two forty batting average. Uh, <clears throat> you know, full season, maybe eight homers and twenty stolen bases. Okay. Um, you know, that's very borderline for regular leagues. Yeah, that is true. That is true, and uh, it's disappointing because I know what may be disappointing from your perspective. I know you were kind of a fan, and you'd. Uh, come up with him maybe in a couple of leagues and uh he was he was definitely on my watch list slash radar but uh yeah i mean minor league strikeout percentages suggest that there's there's definitely some room for him to improve in the strikeout percentage but is it it doesn't look like it's going to be enough for him necessarily to hit uh as a regular uh, he is a switch hitter i'm not sure that he has a, a side one or the other that he necessarily favors but Almonte is actually the guy. Yeah, Almonte is the guy that I w- have more hope for in terms of the strikeout rate. I mean, his minor league strikeout rates were all much better than this, and yeah. so I don't know necessarily. He looks. He's a little bit of a you know something going on in the plate where he's reaching. Uh, he's still reaching like less than league average, um, and uh, but his his uh, swing percent and his swing percentage hasn't changed that much. But it's. You know, I think his zone swing percentage is low. Let me look at that. He swings at 60% of pitches in the zone, uh, and the league average is 66%. So what he's done is he's become patient, but he's not pitch swinging at the pitches he's swinging at. Yeah, that's that's what I was might uh, might have been curious about is that I mean he's put up some good walk rates in the minor leagues, um, but perhaps it's just a, a lack of aggressiveness or something because he's not getting an opportunity to walk and he is striking out. So maybe he's kind of taking too many strikes. And yeah, that's I, I would agree with that. I mean, he should be swinging more at, at pitches in the strike zone. Maybe uh, in San Diego, the one thing they have done um, in terms of uh, uh, the change there, he's striking out less, but he has a worse swing strike rate. So let me look at his if his swing rates break down into uh, what he's doing in San Diego. Uh, in San Diego, uh, he is swinging more at pitches in the zone. So, um, you know, his zone swing percentage is up to 70% which is a career high for him. So obviously very small sample size, uh, but, um, you know, 
that could mean a lot to him. And if he can strike out about 20% of the time, you can uh, revise some of those uh, batting averages up to 250, 260, and all of a sudden um, everything looks a lot better. Yeah. He starts to sound a lot more interesting in that range for sure uh, when you're talking about possibility of double-digit homers. Not likely, but possibility, and then a guy who could steal 20 bases. Yeah, he becomes a more interesting I think, player. I think uh, it's kind of funny, actually. you got you got Venable, Almonte, and, and Reimer Lariano. And they're I, somewhat I similar think, in terms of output, yeah. even though they're not like similar stature-wise or necessarily skill-wise, that they seem like, yeah. yeah. It's funny in terms of fantasy. You know, it's kind of funny how we get, you know, the real, the real, the real value might be different on that based on you know Almonte's center field defense, um, you know, based finding what Reimer's you know true talent walk rate, walk rate is and stuff like that. But uh, in terms of fantasy output, I wouldn't put them too far away from each other. So if Venables relevant in your league, then um, Almonte and Liriano are relevant in your league. In terms of upside, long term upside, Liriano is obviously the one to own just in case uh, he turns into you know, the best version of himself. Yes, I'm excited about the possible best, best version of himself, uh, and I would take with that a howitzer and blow Almonte's best seasons out of the water with Liriano's. <laughs> I do like Liriano, I, I won't, but, you know, I mean, certainly there's a, a probably a pretty good chance that he's a bust. Uh, and real quickly, wanted to touch on the fact that Kentris Morales has heated up in this past series alone. He's hit a couple of home runs uh, against Toronto for Seattle. Um, obviously this is a positive sign there's not really much to make much to make about this but uh, is it possible that I mean it seems it seems kind of this was a, a some dormant power to say the least I mean he's he's taken about close to two months to kind of wake up if this is the start of something uh, or do you think this is likely or a blip, just a kind of a blip on the radar and he's just a uh, I mean, to me, when a guy takes this much time off, I still can't put a lot of stock in it. And it's, yes, we're talking about super small sample size, but this, does this do anything beyond give you a little bit of hope for a Morales if you're an owner? You know, he's, you can't blame it on the parks. I mean, he's, he's, he's played in a lot of pitchers' parks. Angels, uh, Mariners, uh, Twins are all pitchers' parks. So it's not necessarily the park thing. In terms of strikeouts and walks, I would say he's pretty much – where he's always been mm-hmm. uh in terms of uh ground ball rates um you know i would say he's pretty much right where he's always been right now his ground ball for fly ball rate for the season is 1.4 and his ground ball for fly ball rate for his career is 1.4 in terms of line drive rates he's at 17 percent right now his career is 18 percent. so there's nothing um you know right now career high pop-up rate career low home run for fly ball rate but uh, neither of those things are necessarily uh, things that you want to look at too much in a small sample. And uh, I think they're actually sort of linked in that he's been popping things up too much instead of sort of, you know, driving them out. So, you know, he could be an adjustment away from being a 270 hitter with 20 homer power. I mean, that's the, the problem is that's not the greatest upside. And in mixed leagues, you don't necessarily need to roster that, that kind of guy through his struggles to get to that upside. <laughs> But I don't uh, know. In this day and age of uh, the the type of offense that we're looking at, that could become pretty valuable. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the average major league hitter right now is hitting 250. Uh, so a 270 batting average is not bad. Um, you know, 20 homers is, is also above average power. So, and power is what you need. Um, you know, he's out there. You know, obviously, I would take him after a guy like Chris Davis or something. 
um, who's at least showing the power. But um, yes. you know, if you're in if you're in deeper leagues uh, where Chris Davis is not available and Morales is, uh, you know, who, they're playing him. You know, yeah, that's true. That, that's number one. They're playing. Okay, here's one. Uh, how about Morales or Kenny Kenny's Vargas? Well, I, you know, that's the thing is I don't know about the playing time. I mean, now now that uh, Mauer's back. Um, well, they dealt now that they dealt uh, Willingham. That shouldn't be much of an issue. I think uh, it could still be because I I heard that uh, Garcia is coming back, or is that did he's the one that got traded to the White Sox? I miss Arcia. Arcia is the the guy in, in right Minnesota. Field, yeah, and but he's actually up. Yeah, Arcia is there. So uh, you've got uh, what do you've got? You've got Arcia, Schaefer, um, and um, Danny Santana in Danny center. Santana. Or he could so, play some shortstop, and either way, I mean, regardless, the Yabats at DH appear to be pretty much Mauer's or Vargas's. Vargas. Right, so I, but then, you know, they're also sort of nursing Parmalee along um, and, and playing him at least um, against um, lefties, I think it is. Let me see what, what hand this is. He's lefty, so I don't know, actually, no. He's not playing a lot, but he's playing some. Um, so... I don't know. Uh, I've heard I've heard some uh, questioning uh, Vargas's uh, platoon splits, um, although I think he's a. Uh, you could get in you and you could, but you could get into similar issues with Morales because I mean he's I think he's always been a little bit stronger from uh, the left-handed hitting side. I, I in this case, if it's a redraft, I might um, if I was uh, closer to the top. Of my league, I would take uh, the Morales type, and I was closer to the bottom. I take the Vargas type. It's just I, I I I let things like that I let things like that into my decision process because I do think um, floor and ceiling are things that you have to think about um, in terms of um, you know do I need someone with a high floor just to get me to the finish line, or do I need someone with a high ceiling to try and get me back in this thing? Yeah, surely I can definitely uh, understand that. I've done. I've made decisions based on those things myself, and made recommendations like them. <laughs> yeah, right. So in terms of uh, platoon splits, Vargas um, against uh, because he's he's a, he's a uh, switch hitter, so it's a little bit hard to see these. But let me see here. Uh, he has more power against lefties, um, and he strikes out more against lefties. So uh, against righties. He, in the minor leagues, had a 174 ISO uh, and uh, an 18% strikeout rate. So uh, a 174 ISO in the minor leagues does not... Um, does not sound great. No, that's not uh, something that uh, makes you need to, to run to the waiver wires. Because, like, for example, uh, a guy like Morales has been putting up a plus that uh, in the major leagues. Um but, you know, and the 400 bat is obviously going to regress. And right now he's showing a bad strikeout rate in the major leagues. But, you know, I would expect that strikeout rate to come down. Uh, he hasn't shown a ton of power. I think I would take Morales uh, in most cases, unless I was sort of bottom half of my league and just needed to get lightning. Yeah, I think uh, I think I would I would lean toward Morales myself because he's been there and done it for a little while longer. And... Yeah, uh, that seems to be the more likely, the likelier and perhaps more reliable power source. Uh, yeah, unless I was absolutely 
and need, but uh, for that kind of true difference-making talent. But Morales could be that as well. I mean, there's it's hard to say. I mean, perhaps he goes on a tear in September and hits eight home runs. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll talk about real quickly just some measured players. Uh, Brian McCann sounds like he'll be coming back from the di- the concussion disabled list this Saturday. Has passed a couple of tests now. Uh, that's good news. At least if you're a, 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 an owner of the disappointing catcher thus far. Uh, I would blame it all on the shift just as an aside. I mean, people want to blame it all on the shift because they've been overshifting him and he's a lefty and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, he's got that uh, that uh, BABIP up a little bit. Uh, I think he can get it up a little bit higher. Uh, you know, his career BABIP is 286, which is actually uh, just right where the career BABIP for catchers is, kind of funnily. Um, and um, even if you take some off the BABIP, I mean, the the best numbers I've seen um, for, you know, overshifted lefties, um, you know, how much their Babbitt can drop, it was on the order of, uh, you know, five points. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't look at a 249 Babbitt and say, oh, you got shifted, and that's it, you know. <laughs> uh, that's pretty low. So um, I, if it's not this year, I do think that McCann has a monster year in him in New York. I mean, I just think that it's, it's too set up for him as a lefty hitter. Um, with a nice lineup, so yeah, I do. You know, I do agree. Year. I mean, I think there's. I still think there's there, a strong finish is a a, pot, a a decent possibility this year, and uh, you know, a, one of these kind of last hurrah, really good seasons from him. Say a 25 homer season uh, with a 260, 270 type batting average. Like if his cost comes down next year in AL labor, I'm all over him. Yeah, yeah, he's still an intriguing player. I've seen some people beat up on him and think that he's kind of washed up and and done, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that there's going to be a little bit of sal- uh, salvage, something to salvage in, in his fantasy value in the next few years at some point. Michael Bourne strained hamstring, expected back Friday. Obviously, this has been a pretty lengthy absence, and it's in the hamstring i think that he had surgically repaired and he's had another issue with it this is at least the same hamstring that he spent time on the disabled list with earlier this season uh with an issue and now he won't play every day initially i'm starting to think that uh born may be done as a mixed league asset period um at least in redrafters i'm not like i i really kind of hope folks in redrafters were weren't waiting around for this guy to make some sort of impact for their season uh because given between the leg injuries um, and this kind of a bit a bit of a, a decline in his performance indicators. I don't he hasn't been quite as bad uh, as this season as he was last in terms of his. Oh, actually, I, I guess he must have gone to a bit of a cold streak because uh, my memory was that he had started to heat up before he had to disable this. But a two sixty seven, three sixteen, three seventy nine slash line, which is really not any better than a two sixty three, three sixteen, three sixty slash line he put up last year. Uh, and 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 the, and the stolen base attempts went down yeah. further. I mean, he, I mean, he was uh, he had thirty five stolen base attempts in, in almost six hundred plate appearances last year. He has ten uh, uh, attempts in half those plate appearances this year. And it's hard to blame it anymore on uh, adjustments he had to make to pitchers and their moves and timing and things like that, which that was part of it, and also. Uh, the questions about his health, but this year, I mean, his health, uh, he'll turn, he'll turn 32 in the off season. Uh, I'm not real optimistic that he's going to regain anything of significance. I mean, he may have kind of have this one rejuvenated season where he teases us and maybe he has an efficient stolen base rate. And that makes us think that, well, it makes the crowd think that, uh, he's, 
he's again he's kind of seeping back into mixed league relevance. But I think that for the most part it's done. I think if you're in a redrafter, uh, unless it's a pretty deep one. Uh, I mean, a 15-team mixed league, I'm sure it's fine to hold on to them uh, because you're probably hanging on to players about that like that anyway. But Here's a, here's a weird thing. His speed score, uh, although it has declined, um, over the last two years, his four-component speed score from Bill James uh, is about 6.6. His last year with the Braves was 7.5. So, yeah, I mean, he's hit... Uh... Still above average in that one sort of speed department. I'm, I can't figure out what it is. Ah, triples. He's still hitting triples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still hitting triples, and that's just a weird. That's a weird thing. That that's it takes legit speed to hit a triple. It does. You can't. Uh, I, be, you can't. I want to say that the park factors for triples in Cleveland is a, is a little above average. I'm not positive on that, but uh, I guess I couldn't see it making a huge difference uh, in term in terms of. Well, maybe there was a spot where it all where it bounces around and uh, he knows he hits close to that spot or something like that. I could see it. I've heard from a couple of sources close to him that Bourne knows how to hit that spot. <laughs> He's that's uh, that's you got to keep that one to yourself. <laughs> that's uh, too late now. Uh, Indians uh, triples uh, from uh, lefties and righties. Uh, both suppressed by over 15%. Okay, well, then I was wrong. And, in fact, Michael Bourne is even faster than we thought. I think... Uh, There's something there. There's uh, very, very little something there. All right. Well, it's interesting to see. I think... Keep your eye on him. I'm still not real optimistic. Uh, no. <laughs> and definitely number not, one... not a mixed league or not. Number one, he has to kick these health issues, and it would have to happen in the off season because I don't think uh, these this last month and a half is going to do the trick, per se. Neil Walker with some back pain may actually avoid the DL. I feel like the Pirates just went through this a little bit with Andrew McCutcheon and uh, the back pain from what I've been reading in the news that Walker's been dealing with is, it, you know, suddenly the way he felt in the last couple of days made them more optimistic. I can kind of understand that and maybe you hold him out. But I think if they ever, I think if they hit a point here where I was surprised, I thought he would be in, he'd, uh, he'd hit the DL by Tuesday, but that didn't happen. Um, now I think, if there's anything that that makes them believe that uh, they were more optimistic than they should have been, I think that they'll stick him on the DL and not play shorthanded. I know Clint Barbas is on his way back. Not, I don't think that he'll be back in time for them to make that decision, but uh, not that he's an exciting player or anything like that. But uh, at least in the short term, that does make the, the Pirates infield at least uh, give both perhaps Ike Davis and Pedro Alvarez some playing time. Um, and you know perhaps it ends up being a good 10 to 15 days or something like that. And J.J. Hardy with a sprained thumb. Baltimore's hoping that he returns to the lineup as soon as Friday. Uh, this is another one where I feel like this is uh, its not uh, an ideal injury uh, to be trying to wait out. Uh, but I guess at least in the short term, Baltimore does have the depth in the infield to allow this to play out. Uh, it's unfortunate for fantasy owners, especially in weekly leagues. Um, Look at that. His power is creeping back. Yes, he's because yeah, he's hit a couple of home runs uh, in the last week or so, and I wouldn't be surprised if he got you know up to ten, eleven, twelve, and uh, you know wasn't you know wasn't again an underrated uh, uh, piece for next year. The one thing that worries me about him in terms of calling him underrated for next year 
um, especially in sort of deeper leagues, um, is that uh, at 31, um, you know, the the bell curve uh, theory states that all those injuries that riddled him earlier in his career are going to start coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe we're seeing that right now. I don't know. I mean, the, what did the thumb come from? From Was he hit on it? Uh, you know what? I'm not entirely sure. But uh, it doesn't matter. I'm just just saying in general, uh, the, the likelihood of injuries is going to come back. I mean, he's shown in the past to be injury riddled, and that's, I think, why the Twins let him go. Um, and, you know, maybe the Orioles were just lucky to get three nice uh, full seasons out of him, and, uh, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily bank on that happening again in the future. Yeah, I'd be a little concerned about that, and, and Baltimore was a good part for him to kind of rediscover that 25 to 30 homer power that he displayed in the last few seasons. Yeah. Uh, dep- I think where uh, ballpark that he ends up, assuming that Baltimore doesn't resign him, they've done crazier things. Uh, and they do like him as a as a player. I think they like him uh, from for a number of reasons. He's still a good defender, uh, still a very good defender. Um, and maybe they hesitate to put Manny Machado at short, uh, move him back to shortstop. So it could be interesting to see. Maybe he gets like a two year deal, and if he's will, if he likes it enough, is willing to stay. If he was to stay in Baltimore, like I think I would still kind of like him as a rebound candidate. But you have to factor in all the risks, and I think you could still project maybe a, a season of seventeen to twenty home runs. And be kind of optimistic about that, and I think that would make him a nice. I think I would take lower end. I think I'd take seventeen. I think I'd project him for like five hundred eighty, you know, five hundred fifty plate appearances. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, And I would, I would probably project him. Well, if I went with the seventeen to twenty range, and then I would, uh, I leave the twenty as a possibility because I like to be optimistic and, and. get people more excited than they probably should be about players like that <laughs> and just a real quick update wanted to touch on because we have talked about the possibility has to continue to be a little bit encouraging if you're a Masahiro Tanaka owner uh, with a slight tear of the UCL that he threw 10 fastballs uh, from a flat surface and he did so what he says without issue and that was on Wednesday uh, continues to be without issue and he to the point where he's actually pretty close to throwing pitches as he normally would I mean, there, yeah, there's we've we've seen crazier things. Uh, doesn't seem likely that he's going to be back anytime until September, but uh, at least there's some positives there. I, I you know I wonder if if I bought a pitcher like Tanaka for my team and I spent all that money, I wonder if I wouldn't be tempted to use that opportunity to go to a six man rotation and say, you know, I just spent, you know. A half a billion dollars on this. I mean, who knows what the next great pitcher is going to cost? But I, I just spent a quarter of a billion dollars on this pitcher. Uh, I think I can, you know, maybe move around some of my fifth starter types and uh, get him more rest in between starts. Just because, you know, pitchers who stay in Japan have better outcomes uh, than pitchers who come over here. And they, you know, in Japan they they generally have about half as many, less than half as many uh, Tommy John surgeries. So. Uh, I just think that, uh, you know, an extra day of rest would be really nice. I know that um, it's a little bit problematic for, you know, this may seem uh, insignificant, but record-keeping. I mean, uh, imagine all of the uh, starters' numbers that um, new starters would never be able to retain if they were in a six, six-man rotation. So um, I, I know that there'd definitely be a resistance to it. It might require, like, a 26-man on the roster, 
Uh, so that means it will require the owners and the and the playing uh, the players to agree on something like that. Uh, so probably won't happen, but I do still believe that it's part of a uh, solution. I don't know, part of a way to deal with uh, injuries. You know what? It's interesting that you brought that up because I've, I mean, I've kind of started to think that sometime this season when I was looking at the splits for several pitchers. One of them was Drew Hutchison, but just because he's young and he's coming off the Tommy John surgery. But uh, I've noticed it with a with a number of pitchers, and uh, it, I think. In a different generation, it, it didn't matter as much. But uh, given the way pitchers throw, they uh, perhaps it's just because they throw a little harder for whatever reasons. Uh, but with that extra day of rest, they do seem to be they tend to be, at least in terms of results, significantly more effective uh, with that extra day of rest. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, also it would eliminate having to worry about streaming two start pitchers for the most their part. There'd be very few of those. That'd be kind of neat. <laughs> uh, eliminate that piece of crap from fantasy. <laughs> yeah, geez. And then there'd only be a handful every week, so there'd be so few of them to analyze. I think it would actually make it a lot more interesting uh, to play that play that into things. Anyway, uh, before we get out of here, uh, we do have, and we are not quite ready to get out of here. I just want to make that clear. Uh, but we do have a few players we want to talk about that have been requested topics uh, that we haven't quite gotten to yet. I'm going to start with uh, Madison Bumgarner. We're probably talking about his past uh, seven or eight starts now. Uh, but a listener asked us about his release point because it seems to have moved to the right. Uh, and they're still clustering his release points. I'm assuming this is based on his uh, his. Uh, pitch effects data from Brooks Baseball, and uh, uh, or obviously also from Fangraphs.com, since that's where we're doing this for. But uh, he wonders about some intentional shifts on the rubber, uh, on the rubber, and cannot find any news on the topic. But uh, he just wants to know if this is something that should concern us going forward. Now, I've seen certainly we've seen pitchers make these kinds of changes uh, for very reasons, but Bumgarner was certainly not having any problems as far as his results go. Um, I don't see any reason that to, to think that this is also that this would be overall worrisome, um, and perhaps, but perhaps this. Uh, yeah, I guess my only my only concern would be is this is he doing this uh, to compensate for something uh, maybe a little bit health wise or something like that? But I don't. I, I and I'm just I'm throwing you stuff know, at the I, wall. I think- from what I've talked to the pitchers about, uh, I've talked to them uh, recently about this, uh, particularly lefties, um, uh, is that uh, you know, like Doolittle wants to wants to be on the left hand side of the rubber so that he can see uh, the outside pitch to righties, um, so that he has like a straight line there. Uh, I've talked to Jake McGee said uh, he likes to be on the uh, first base side of the rubber so that he gets. Uh, that his angle uh, to righties looks weirder, so he gets a sort of crossfire thing where it looks like it's going further out out um, on the side than it is. Uh, so I think mostly they're thinking about angles uh, to the plate, and uh, they're thinking about command and angles and, and, and trying to change the way that pit, uh, players see them. And if you actually look at the history of, of Baumgartner, you actually see that his, um, his spot on the rubber has probably changed uh, multiple times over his career because uh, you actually see a lot of clustering at different points, especially if you look at his horizontal um, release point. It's very, it's been different a lot. So what that I would is say, true. that is true. Uh, you know, what I would say for uh, uh, this sort of analysis is a change is not as worrisome as uh, uh, being erratic. You know, 
Uh, you know, if you think about Josh Kalk's injury zone, the, the one that they, they say there is sort of about clustering and about um, late game inconsistencies and, and changes over the course of a game uh, rather than changes over the course of a month. Um, so uh, I would say that uh, in general, the sort of clustering that, that Bumgarner is doing where the release points are still clustered and he's changed uh, his probably his place on the rubber um, a couple of times over the course of his career. Uh, that doesn't worry me so much. Yeah, I think that that's ultimately. I, I wasn't too concerned about. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have been too concerned about something like this. But if I was really reaching or trying to figure something out, but that what you say makes perfect sense. Uh, definitely agree there. And I think. I mean, I would assume you'd probably be a lot more concerned if there was a lot more fluctuation in his vertical release points, uh, because that would suggest changes in arm angles and things like that. Not necessarily that it is another reason to worry, but there could be. Uh, more of a physical factor there than it is if there was a horizontal thing because it could just be shifting in the rubber. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with that because uh, vertical, uh, that's actually another thing with caulk is that uh, you're talking about uh, you're the arm dropping. Okay. You know, And yes, you might be able to see that in horizontal, but it's easier to see in vertical. There's uh, not as many reasons that you can think of where, oh, he, you know, he just did this and that's why his vertical is different. I mean, if you look at uh, Verlander's vertical release point over the course of this year, it's bad, um, and you know Verlander's injured. So, uh, you know that's I think that's you're right. Vertical is better to look at than horizontal if that's what you're looking for. Speaking of Verlander, I just want uh, uh, real quick get your take. I mean, the MRI showed no structural damage. Uh, when you hear that, does that mean he's out of the woods? I mean, I guess that's encouraging, but to me, it's like, well, I still don't quite trust that. Yeah. Expected to I mean, miss only one start. They're not even willing to put him on the disabled list yet. So it sounds like he's, you know, sounds like everything is, is, but to me, there was too much smoke there to still consider him out of the woods yet, I guess. Sure. Sure. I just, uh, yeah, I, I, am a little worried just because there's this, uh, there were these, uh, results, you know, in terms of the Josh Cock injury zone, um, where, you know, you know, he's, it looks like he's injured and then you have, um, uh, you have him saying that he felt bad, and then you have just the bad results. Um, I almost feel like they should just shut him down for two weeks just to rest him and just to see what happens. Yeah, because um, you know, also you also had this core uh, this core surgery that he had in the off season, and from what I've read, uh, his recovery from that was fairly aggressive. Um, yes. So yes, it was because uh, I mean, originally we didn't think that he would be ready for opening day, but he pushed it. Yeah, so, um, you know, pushing that uh, pushing that can mean that something is a little bit off in, on the core, and that means maybe something drags and something, you know, goes too fast and something over there. So, um, you know, you just don't want him compensating for that sort of stuff. And, you know, you have enough money invested in them that I would try to, you know, figure that stuff out and just, you know, try to get his core right and whatever. So, I don't know. Um, what they're going to do, uh, I actually find this to be a more confounding result for, in terms of fantasy owners. Um, if they could have found something, this, although with the shoulder, I guess it's only good news that it's not a bad thing because um, <laughs> if they said, oh, it's fraying at the labrum or something, that's that's screwed. That's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for them to look in there and, and not really find much, uh, I think, is good news. Um, you'd wish there was more closure, like, oh, now yeah, I, I can understand. Drop, I can drop him. Now I can drop him. <laughs> right? uh, but, 
you know, not you're not necessarily going to get that kind of closure this year, I don't think. Um, so I don't know. Now you're hoping for him to have a couple good starts down the stretch, to, or a couple disastrous starts down the stretch, so you can decide either way for next year. It's just, I mean, how I saw it described in one or two news reports was there was no maybe they put it as no significant structural damage or something like that, and I was like, all right, well now are we playing games with? the degrees of structural damage like did you actually just find you found a touch of something there or, i mean i don't know and it just makes me wonder i mean detroit is a team that is obviously you know if this was a, toward the beginning of a season uh, or this is a team that was not in playoff contention would the perhaps the revelation of the results be uh, a little more honest and forthcoming if they weren't in the first place i guess i just i can't help but wonder because we've seen that kind of thing happen before with other teams but uh, another another pitcher we want to talk about who is not in that kind of health bucket is Colin McHugh, uh, who has he's had a pretty good year. <laughs> kind of he is a revelation to say the least, and you know has talked extensively uh, or somewhat extensively about how I mean, kind of a jump in velocity for him. Uh, uh, he, he's a, he's a somewhat heavy slider thrower, uh, and also I think let's see. Two-seam fastball, I guess, it's kind of big for him as far as his repertoire is concerned, or maybe it's more just a, a four-seamer. Well, whatever it is, uh, he's he's seen a little bit of a spike in velocity. That's actually come down a bit since, but he's throwing a slider more. Uh, basically, not a bad two-pitch or three-pitch pitcher. Uh, Change-up has is, uh, not been a real big part of his repertoire, but uh, great strikeout rate, solid walk rate, um, and... A very good average against him. Uh, certainly seems like some give back possible in the average of balls in play. But the uh, listener wanted to know if there was any possibility that his left on base percentage could rise even more so. And to me, that seems a little optimistic because he seems to have been fortunate. He may be fortunate in some other areas and hasn't quite had that. So I think that even if that's the case, that uh, maybe he starts stranding runners a little more often. Um, that also that he might be giving up base runners a little more often. I think uh, you know, you know, more worrisome is the the breaking ball usage. I mean, he's he's got that up to um, in terms of breaking balls over fifty percent, um, and in recent days almost sixty percent. So sixty percent breaking ball usage in terms of sliders and curveballs that's uh, almost unprecedented. Um, I don't th- I don't even think someone like Garrett Richards is doing that much. So. He must be hiding his fastball a little bit to some extent. His fastball is getting a lot of whiffs, so I would I would I wouldn't be surprised if his heavy breaking ball usage is setting up his fastball for for whiffs like that. Um, so I would just say long term, uh, health is an issue. There's been some health issues in his past, um, and this is his way of, of making it in the big leagues. And uh, all power to him in the short term. Doesn't make him a good keeper. In terms of the rest of the season, I don't think I think there's one thing that people didn't uh, forget a lot from the Sierra research that um, Swartz did, which is that uh, uh, both uh, BABIP and uh, left on base percentage are tied to strikeout rate, um, and that uh, they're correlated to them, and so that you'll find guys with high strikeout rate have higher strand rates and have lower BABIPs, um, and I think that's just uh, I don't know why that is and maybe it needs more research uh but it it it, it's been a fact over the last you know whatever however many years we're in his study so um i i think basically what you can say is people with high strikeout rates are good pitchers right (laughs) um so um well i wouldn't 
74% left down base percentage does not uh, worry me too much. Um, Steamers project him to, to do rest of season like 72%. I can believe that. A 254 BABIP, that's uh, worrisome, but I like Steamer doing 288 BABIP for rest of the season. So, uh, and, I, and I'll take the over on the Steamer projected strikeout rate, which is 8 for 9, uh, because I think he's probably a different type of pitcher with this uh, heavy breaking ball usage. And so I'd probably uh, give him a modified Steamer rest of the season up, um, uh, projection of maybe like a 375 or 36. With a, a one-two-five whip, something like that, a strikeout per inning at least. Um, I think that's a good pitcher. That's a, especially with the strikeouts in there. He's definitely, um, you know, not a great keeper because of all this heavy breaking ball usage. Also, the lack of pedigree, uh, lack of history, lack of background. So, um, but in terms of mixed league usage, yeah, I'd pick him up. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I noticed too when uh, I was looking at some possible article topics. Uh, that McHugh, I, there seems to be a lot of distrust, at least in the in the ownership numbers uh, that I noticed on him. And I think, yeah, at least for rest of season redrafters or even in keeper leagues where you're gonna, you're not looking to keep this guy, McHugh seems like still a pretty solid addition, at least to see how this goes. As far as McHugh is concerned, uh, but you know, speaking generally, perhaps uh, the 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 strand rate, left on base percentage. Uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, I guess they're slightly different figures, technically speaking. But um, it, as far as strikeout pitchers go, I mean, it stands to reason that if you're preventing the offense from putting the ball in play, that there's less bad stuff that could happen with guys on base. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's just it, that one's easier for me to believe than the the Babbitt one is kind of confounding. It's like you're talking about balls in play. Why do strikeouts matter? Right. <laughs> And so but, maybe that's um, maybe that's large, maybe that has something more to do with power or the types of pitches they get strikeouts and and the results and balls and play yeah. that when they don't so. And in yeah. fact, I think it's an indictment of of dips in a way that the dips is the idea that defense um, that once the ball's in play, the pitcher has no control over it, and that you know we should be looking at defense independent uh, pitching numbers, um, and that's sort of the basis behind FIP and stuff like that. But I think people have been finding. Uh, recently, as I look into it, that's not completely true, that there is such a thing as inducing weak contact, that, if, for example, infield fly balls are sticky year to year. So um, that's sort of a confounding thing. The idea that a pitcher can actually get pop-ups, uh, that's a very meaningful thing if it's true because uh, pop-ups are outs, you know, like strikeouts. So, um, you know, I think that there's there have been enough cracks and dips where, you can, where we can say, you know, uh, it's not all FIP. Don't use just FIP for your analysis, uh, and and do look at these other things because uh, FIP is is kind of a blunt tool, I think. And uh, we've been refining things since. Yes, that is excellent advice for those of you who do your own projections, especially uh, or at least your fantasy pickups. Do not look beyond the FIP. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, just wanted to talk also on uh, we, we've talked about these pitchers well, mostly Marcus Stroman we've talked about him a good bit uh, but uh, I think uh, uh, a listener has just kind of been interested in hearing us talk a little bit more about him and so uh, I'm presuming that this is in part I've gotten a lot of questions in the chat do I like Stroman rest of the season do I like I think maybe maybe it makes me wonder if there's just a lot of doubt about what he has done with the 334 ERA to this point in the season uh, 20.6% strikeout rate and 6% walk rate. Um, 
I mean, if you look at the kid's minor league record, uh, granted, uh, first couple of levels, I mean, he, he didn't pitch there for very long and was a reliever. But basically, 2013 uh, and a little bit in 2014, this is a kid, college kid from Duke with a lot of polish, very smart, seems to understand his stuff quite well. Maybe some kind of some variance uh, in terms of ERA where he has kind of a bad season. But this is this is kind of what you get. Uh, it may not necessarily get a ton better after this season. But uh, I think the, the, the salient, uh, the the... You know, I guess one thing to watch is his changeup, which has been actually been improving and is basically now average. So now he's got an average changeup, a great slider, a great curve, and a good cutter, um, and uh, a good four seam with a ninety-four, ninety-five mile an hour average on it. Uh, so he's got everything he needs to succeed. The the question was, uh, you know, not only uh, you know, based on his stature, he's five nine. Uh, not only uh, is the question, you know, how long can he maintain that velocity? Um, and uh, how long can he maintain it into games? And then how long uh, can he maintain it in his career? How long can he maintain you know everything as a as a as a short guy like that? Um, and uh, that's that's one thing. And like I said earlier about Casimir, like don't overlook a guy just because he's too short now. I mean, you know, you could just keep him for four or five years, and then he breaks down like every other pitcher, and you move on. So um, the the other question was can he get on top of the ball enough to avoid the homers? And you can actually look at his double-A work. He did give up a homer more than average. Uh, you know, he gave up more homers than average. He gave up 1.1 homers per nine. So, um, you know, homers are a part of the, of the issue. And, um, you know, Zips were projecting for a lot of homers the rest of the season. Um, Steamer just, uh, just under average. You could see some regression in that territory, especially since Toronto – you know, it was a bad place for giving up homers. So that's the only place where I really see regression. In terms of innings, how many innings he has left, uh, last year he pitched 122 innings or so. I think normally you would see a team uh, give him about 150, 160 innings this year. Um, that would leave him normally with um, 100. And, so he's, he's probably around 120 now. So that would normally leave him with another 40 or so innings to pitch. Um, that's not quite enough to get him through the rest of the season. Um, and so I think that this team is going to stretch it. Uh, I just I just see them as being in it um, and uh, and just willing to push it a little bit. Um, they've been snake bit with injuries, so there could be somebody in that front office who's saying, "Hey, man, everybody gets hurt. Everybody gets hurt. Can we not hurt this guy?" But um, I think also the Blue Jays haven't been in the postseason for twenty plus years or something, um, and uh, and they're in it this year. So I think they're going to. Pushed Stroman pretty hard. If you remember how Salazar uh, got pushed, he got skipped a couple times. They would let him go five innings, but not necessarily the whole game. Um, I think that's the sort of treatment you'll see from Stroman. Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly one point was where I was going to go is I think that's how they're going to treat him, uh, skip him when they can, uh, but try to get as much out of them as they can this season. And perhaps they're conscious of maybe that the long-term viability of him, maybe they don't have to be as concerned about his long-term health. <laughs> I hate to say that and make it sound as if they're insensitive, but they are Canadian, so what are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> and, and the other one he wanted, uh, wanted to hear us comment on was Mike Miner. Obviously, this has been a disastrous season for Miner, but uh, probably not a bad time to talk about him also – uh, with the layoff because he did he was skipped in his uh, in a recent turn and made his most recent start a couple of nights ago. <clears throat> and in terms of results, didn't pitch too badly. Six and two thirds innings. This is against the Dodgers at home. Gave up eight hits, walked one, struck out seven, uh, and also gave up three runs. 
Uh, so certainly put up a, a quality start and uh, something that was has been kind of rare for him lately. He had put up a couple of those in his recent maybe seven, six or seven starts, but otherwise has been pretty rough. Uh, I, I mean, I see this as a pitcher. Perhaps it's still, I mean, he did come into the season with health issues. Uh, and I think that sometimes I think he still is a guy who catches a little too much of the plate or doesn't have quite the kind of movement. Um, that you see, that you want to see in his pitches. This is probably more based on the eye test for me than it is uh, actually looking at his numbers. Well, I mean, one thing that you can notice is that um, he's already doing a little bit of the old pitcher thing where he's hiding his fastball a little bit. Um, his, oh, his crap, first... the old pitcher thing already? I know, dude. <sighs> he's not even 27. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying that, you know, this year he's thrown the four seam less than ever, yeah. um, and the cutter... Uh, is is starting to to go over twenty percent regularly, um, so, I mean, just in terms of percentages, he's more likely to throw a, fa- a non fastball than a fastball at this point, um, which you know unless you count the cutter as a fastball. But um, even if you don't, even if you do count the cutter as a fastball, he's uh, he's sitting there right under fifty percent um, with those two pitches. So uh, he's throwing a lot of his off speed stuff. I think that uh, that kind of uh, it, what what occurs to me when I think Mike Minor, I try to do every once in a while. I'll try to, especially since I do these chats, I try to like, you know, you know, you say Mike Minor, I'm going to write something down, you know, and I'm just going to just give you the off the cuff idea. And my off the cuff idea is he's good for strikeouts. Uh, he's he's got homeritis, mm-hmm. and I think uh, it's probably has something to do with his fastball mix. It's probably something to do with his declining. Well, his, his fastball velocity hasn't necessarily declined off of the last three years, but it's not good. At 90 miles an hour, 90.5, it's below average. So you've got a lefty who probably every once in a while against a righty uh, either lets that slider drift somewhere um, or, um, uh, you know, throws an 88-mile-an-hour meatball to a righty. Uh, what do I think about – what does that mean for me in terms of prognostication and going forward? I, I think he's – honestly, I think he's a mixed-league spot starter a guy that um, you 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 play in good situations. And I would say, I mean, going forward, say com- coming into next year or going forward, I mean, he's like you wouldn't suddenly, you know, you wouldn't, I, to me, I guess, I wouldn't project necessarily a bounce back year relative to 2013. I mean, I still think I would guess based on uh, historical performance, uh, minor leagues yeah. going, going going back minor leagues that the home runs they won't be a 1.55 home runs per nine innings issue no. again but they will still be an issue yeah you can regress that but yeah he's he's given up homers at every stop and also uh you can just look at uh you're, you're almost to the point where you can look at his, at his major league career and he's yeah. got 612 innings in a 415 era and he's done it mostly in the same run environment i mean it's all been the same run environment so uh, yeah, he's a four ERA guy that's going to give up a homer for nine, and it, you know it's kind of Lily-esque, even though it's not necessarily Ted Lily, you know, stuff. Uh, it's Lily-esque in terms of you know you're going to have a decent whip, uh, you're going to have decent strikeout numbers, and he's going to give up a few couple too many homers, and uh, your ERA will be a little bit higher than you thought it was. Sounds fair to me. And uh, the last one I think we want to touch on. Uh, we always love to touch on so much pitching. Uh, is just real quick, Kyle Hendricks. We've talked a bit, a good bit about him in a couple of other occasions, but uh, I guess he is he's taking fantasy owners by storm with his 173 ERA and his six starts with the Cubs. 
uh, has struck out 16% of the hitters and walked uh, fewer or less than 6% of them. So not necessarily outstanding numbers in that regard. Uh, we did talk about a little bit, first of all, I mean, he's so far he's gotten a 50% plus ground ball rate. That's obviously good. He doesn't feature great fastball velocity. Um, and does seem to, uh, but does seem to rely on his changeup a little more often than uh, a lot of other pitchers do. Uh, according to pitch effects, it's around 26% that he's used it, and according to our classifications, it's around 17. But either way, yes, he relies on that changeup pretty well, and it's supposed to be a very good changeup. I don't think that's necessarily something that, uh, for, I mean, I don't think that that's a bad thing, um, but uh, maybe eventually that could mean some problems for him. Yeah, you know, I've got, uh, I've got, you know, he's got about a 24% uh, whiff rate on the change. He's got 11% whiff rate on the curve. Um, that means he's got everything, and uh, you know, he's got about a, you know, 60% uh, ground ball rate on the sinker. That means he's got everything he needs. What makes me intrigued about him is uh, command. Um, definitely uh, can command uh, his sinker and his change. Um, get great ball rates. Um, the curve and the cutter, not so much, but. Um, you know, I, I see enough there, and I was a little bit worried about some of the results um, in, in specific games, uh, not getting a lot of whiffs on his breakers, uh, until I heard something recently, which was uh, that his um, he's got uh, uh, two different change-ups, uh, which is very intriguing to me. Uh, and what I'd like to, what I'm calling up right now, is, um, you know, his... Uh, Horizontal movement and change uh, for each of the uh, this horizontal movement uh, and vertical movement on the change up. Well, it actually is clustered pretty pretty well. So I don't know that necessarily um, he's got. Uh, well, maybe maybe he does. He's got uh, he's got uh, change ups that they go anywhere from zero uh, horizontal movement to minus five. So maybe uh, maybe there are a couple of different changeups. The idea that I heard was that he's got a changeup that goes straight down and doesn't have a lot of horizontal movement. And he has another one that has um, a vertical movement. So uh, what's well, it's interesting that uh, you say that about Hendricks because uh, first of all, you know we'd been asked several podcasts ago about him you know, based on uh, what looked like that he had thrown like majority changeups in one of his starts, and clearly it was you know a potential. Uh, classification issue in that particular outing, uh, but perhaps that I mean because of the type of stuff that he has that that may be a frequent issue. I mean maybe maybe his uh, his sharp breaking downward uh, changeup is being mistaken for a curveball or something like that, or or, yeah. or his other sinkers. I mean he doesn't throw hard to begin with. It's it's we might be at a point uh, where at least early on in Hendricks' career that we have a little bit trouble distinguishing some of his pitches. And it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as more than a couple of them do something different. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the curve goes 76, so a sharp breaking uh, straight down change that went 76 because it's changed average of 79, so uh, could definitely be something going on there. So um, I actually just really look forward to talking to him. Uh, it seems like a very interesting picture. I think it would be, be cool to talk to him about um, you know, what he's doing there. And uh, given, I mean, he's consistently put up, well, somewhat consistently put up pretty good results in the minor leagues in terms of ERA. Uh, really, 
is this a picture that uh, you, I mean, uh, I remember originally you were kind of uh, skeptical and maybe this guy was not a mixed leaguer, but uh, at this point, does he look like a mixed leaguer? I mean, obviously this, the lack of strikeouts uh, is Well, there's is not disturbing. a lot of velocity there. And right. If you're talking 88 mile an hour fastballs, um, you know, you know, Mike Fires has a, a better uh, curveball um, than, uh, than uh, Hendricks and his changeup's not that far off. But uh, Mike Fires doesn't throw a sinker. He throws a four-seam, so he's going to give up the homers, whereas Hendricks is going to have fewer strikeouts but, um, you know, fewer homers. So, um, you know, it's a floor-ceiling situation again. If, if, you're, if you were choosing between these two, and that's not that crazy to think about, Kyle Hendricks and Mike Fires are probably on a lot of uh, waiver wires right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, your floor guy is Hendricks in a way. That's kind of a weird thing to say because he's more of a prospect. But I think your floor guy is Hendricks because – um, worst case scenario, uh, he's going to get allow a couple balls in play and get singled to death uh, by by a team um, that uh, can hit changeups well or something. Uh, whereas fires, worst thing worst thing that happens to him is all those homers fly out of Milwaukee. But uh, fires has a way higher upside when it comes to strikeout rate. Yes, yeah, I would say yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a what do you need in terms of floor and ceiling? Uh, what can you afford to give up, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's definitely in uh, that kind of either or scenario with Hendricks and Fires is definitely an interesting case. And I did lie. Well, I did mislead. I I try not to lie ever. But uh, you know, I want to get your take real quick, um, and I also want to give mine as far as uh, just touch on the last player. It is a hitter uh, as far as Mike Napoli goes, because one of our listeners said that there were a couple of recent articles on him. Uh, on the site, one where one saying that he was due for a bit of a rebound, the other saying that he would probably continue to struggle, and wanted maybe some. Basically, is this guy worth sticking with in twelve team mixed league? I mean, first of all, I think that yes, certainly he probably is because the type of potential that he has relative to what's available in the player pool is probably good enough to keep him around, uh, considering the dearth of offense and fantasy these days. Uh, but. Are you predicting some court? I, I mean, I think to me, the only thing I can really say on Napoli is as far as predicting some kind of rebound, um, it's somewhat unpredictable. I mean, this has been a little bit, uh, I mean, he's he's had uh, some, some minor health issues kind of throughout the season. It's hard to know how exactly how much those have affected him, but I think it's pretty clear at this point that uh, he's not going to have another 30 home run season um, anytime soon. Uh, he's kind of on the downward uh, on the other side of that bell curve that Eno talks about, he's approaching age 33. Uh, the strikeout rate is down, and that is encouraging. Uh, and maybe eventually he starts trading off a little bit better contact uh, and for a little less power or something of that nature. But uh, overall, that tends to work out not so well, I think, for hitters uh, uh, yeah. over the years. But uh, regardless... The only, the only thing I'm honestly worried about is the ground ball rate. It's a career-high ground ball plus fly ball rate. That's going to stop some of his power. And, mm-hmm. you know... You kind of see it in, in, in his numbers. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not that worried about his batting average on balls and play being high because he's actually had a high one for a lot of his career. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'd project him going forward probably for a 330 Babbitt, which means that I'm going to ask for him to keep a 260 batting average, basically. And a 260 batting average, even if it only comes with 22, 23 homers, I think is definitely utility bat. Um, and... If you're an on-base percentage, it's a starting first baseman. I mean, he's a he's a big-time walker. So um, yes, that is that's super encouraging in, in an OBP league. Yes, Napoli is still a pretty considerable asset. 
uh, and he homered uh, yesterday. It was a three-run shot, I believe, and that's, I mean, uh, rest of season, what do you say? Uh, rest of season zips, 250 average and six home runs. Uh, I'm not sure I'd take the over on the home runs. I think that's about right, but the average, yeah, I, I do agree. I think it could be up a little more. Yeah, yeah, I mean, especially with the, the added ground balls, the added contact rate, it's, it's just, those are things that are supposedly uh, stabilized and that we can believe going forward. So if we can believe those going forward, uh, it should mean better batting average. Yeah, so Napoli, I mean, he's, uh, I don't think that, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't classify what he's done necessarily as continued struggles, uh, but I don't think he's due for some kind of huge rebound either. He, I think he just kind of remains the player that uh, you have and maybe thought he was. I think that's going to do it for this episode of The Sleeper and the Bust. We're glad to touch on a number of requested topics. Uh, we, we try to get to those as often as possible and uh, but while talking about things in the news. And, uh, Eno, as always, appreciate you, shedding some of your sharing some of your wonderful insights with us. <laughs> I'm, I'm shedding them. They're yes. never going to come. I always start with shedding, and I have to correct myself. <laughs> Perhaps uh, perhaps it's really hot there and you're a hairy dog. I don't know. You're doing a lot of shedding. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, we do appreciate uh, all of our listenership. Uh, we, we hope that we're moving toward technical stability. And uh, we thank you for joining us for episode number 154. This has been The Sleeper and the Bust. Thank you.